0: Hello, Westover, whether you're joining us in the house or joining us online, we are so delighted that you're here with us today. Uh, Pastor Jim sends his greetings. For the last week and a half, he's been in the country of Tanzania. And the reason he is there is he got invited by the Assemblies of God out there to go and dedicate a building that your generosity made happen. Your generosity allowed us to partner with the Assemblies of God in Tanzania to build a 3,500-seat auditorium where people can gather together, they can hear the gospel, pastors can get equipped and I want to thank you for your willingness to give. I want you to know that there are people you're going to meet in heaven that come up to you and say, thank you for your generosity. Because you gave, I got to hear the gospel and learn who Jesus is. Keep Pastor Jim in prayer as he comes back. He'll be back in just a couple of days, and he's looking forward to seeing you very, very soon. Today, I have the great privilege of continuing a series that we began just a handful of days ago, called Family Recipes. Family Recipes. And today I want to talk on the topic of marriage is the main course. Marriage is the main course. And if you happen to be married, you know that marriage is the main course. It's the most important relationship that you'll have, other than your relationship with the Lord, and marriage is the main course. Now, have you ever noticed when you go out to eat, you usually pick the place based on what they serve there? whether it's burgers or tacos or enchiladas with chile con carne and extra cheese. Yes, you decide based on what they serve. But usually when you go to the restaurant, you start by ordering the main entree. You start by ordering the main course. I don't think I've ever met anybody who starts by ordering the sides. i never seen somebody order the corn or the okra or the broccoli And if you happen to order the broccoli, you're better than the rest of us because you're eating healthy. I'm going to stick with my enchiladas. But usually when you go, if you happen to go to a steakhouse, you usually start by ordering either the filet or the T-bone or the ribeye. And usually if the entree is good, the rest of the meal is good. Now some of you weren't listening because you were thinking about what you're going to order and I had you at ribeye. (laughs) Uh, But usually when you go to the restaurant, you usually choose your sides and what you're going to order based on your entree. Now, some of you may be in a small but important majority where you actually order based on your entree and your dessert. My wife is in that camp. She decides both at the same time because dessert is very, very important to her. If you've ever been to a local um, Italian restaurant, they often will serve you Bread sticks and, and salad, and it's unlimited, and it's for free. Now, I don't know why they give it to you for free, but here's my suspicion. They give it to you for free because they want you to fill up on sides. I don't know about you, but usually I can only eat one bowl of unlimited spaghetti because of all the sides that they give me. And I've noticed that in life, sometimes we fill up on sides, Sometimes our plate is full of sides, whether it's taking the kids to practice or going to work or waking up early and going to sleep late or paying the bills or mowing the lawn. Sometimes we end up filling up on sides and marriage is no longer the main course. It's either minimized or it's non-existent. And if you're here today and marriage is not the main course anymore, I wanna give you hope. And I hope that today's message will encourage you to realize that with God's help, you can make marriage the main course again. I want you to be encouraged today. So I want to invite you to join me in 1 Peter chapter 3. And if you happen to have the Westo wrap, open it up. We have notes there available for you. And I wanna just show you the passage, and as I go through the message today, I'm actually gonna unpack. The, the, the verses that we see here today, but I want to highlight two words at the very beginning in this passage. The first word in this chapter is the word wives. And then in verse 7, he mentions husbands. And so I want to define for us today that the focus for our message is this. Marriage is God's recipe for relationship success. When we want to be successful in marriage, if we want to be rese- res- uh, Responsive in marriage, we need to make God at the center. And I've discovered that biblical marriage as defined in scripture between one man and one woman is God's recipe for relationship success. If you want relationship success, embrace a biblical marriage. So today I want to share with you three steps that you can take to make marriage the main course again. Three steps that you and I we can take to make marriage the main course again. Step number one. Focus on the inside. Verse number 1 says this, wives, and then verse 3, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, this verse is speaking specifically to women, but I think there's some wisdom that we as men can glean from it, and it's this. God wants us to care for what's on the outside, but value what's on the inside. We have a spiritual responsibility to take care of our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6 says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's a stewardship issue. We get an opportunity to take care of our body, but our outward appearance is not more important than who we are on the inside because what's inside is most important. Now, famed fashion designer Coco Chanel said the following, elegance is when the inside is as beautiful As the outside. And some of us, we've got caught up in the culture and thinking that our outward adornment is the most important thing, but who we are on the inside is what's most important. And God wants us to cultivate an elegance within us because what's inside is most important. Let's take a look at verse 4 again. It says, Rather, it should be that your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight, Now, some of us, when we look in the mirror, we realize that this outward body is fading a lot faster than we expected. At least that's my experience. But what I've discovered is that what's on the inside never fades. It never fades. And when I read this verse, I began to think about what exactly does it mean to have a gentle and quiet spirit. And what I realized is this, is that a gentle and quiet spirit is when we are at peace with ourselves. And so some of you ladies and even some of you men, you're here and you're not at peace with yourself. And you've bought into the culture and what the culture says what you need to look like and what you need to wear and who you need to compare yourself to. And maybe you've been in a relationship where someone demeans you. And I just want to roll that back and say, God has made you fearfully and wonderfully and he has a purpose for you. And he wants to let you know that you have immeasurable worth and you have unfading beauty and that you're chosen by God and that he has a purpose for you. And so if you find yourself buying into what the culture says about you, I want you to know that God values you just the way you are. He loves you. Now, husbands, we have a responsibility here as well to encourage our wives. Don't miss an opportunity to encourage her. Don't miss an opportunity to tell her how beautiful she is. Compliment her on how she looks and appreciate her for how she loves. Compliment her and appreciate her. Be willing to say to her, you look beautiful today, or that outfit looks great, or I love your hairstyle, but first you have to notice her hairstyle. <laughs> Don't let some other lady notice her hairstyle first. You be the first. I'm trying to give you a recipe for relationship success. But I've been married for 12 years, and I've learned something in 12 years of being married and 15 years knowing my wife, and it's this one thing, is that in marriage, be specific with your compliments. When you're specific, they actually are worth more. Your compliments are worth more. Be willing to tell her, those earrings look great with your outfit. That necklace brings out your eyes. Or those high heels look fantastic because you are wearing them. And the ladies are laughing, and some of you husbands are like, what just happened here? What that is, is that's a double compliment. When I say to my wife, That outfit looks great because you are wearing it. I'm giving her a double compliment. I'm complimenting her on her outfit. I'm complimenting her as well. Don't miss an opportunity to give her a double compliment. I'm trying to help you out today. But don't stop there. Be willing to appreciate her. Be willing to say thank you to her for the way she shows up in your family, the way she lives and loves. Be willing to tell her, You're such a great mom. You're such a great wife. I love how you encourage me. I love how you motivate me. I love how you keep things organized. I love how you make my favorite dish. And if she makes something for you today, be willing to appreciate it. It's going to help you out. I've learned that when you compliment how she looks and you appreciate how she loves, you have a happy wife. And as they say, happy wife, happy life. Yes, if your wife is happy, you're going to be happy. Now, the second step to make marriage the main course is to be considerate and respectful. Verse seven says this, husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, husbands, I want us to realize that the way we treat our wife determines whether God hears our prayers or not. We can actually limit our prayers by how we treat our wife. And what the Word of God is telling us here today is that when we are considerate and respectful, God will hear us. But when we're inconsiderate and we're disrespectful, God is not obligated to listen to us. God wants us to be effective in our marriage and we need to be considerate and respectful. And I want to I want to highlight one verse that's in that passage. It's not in the notes for you, but it's in verse 12, and this is what it says: "The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and His ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns His face against those who do evil. God hears us when we do what is right but he turns a deaf ear to us when we don't do what's right. So I want to give you two things that you can do, two steps you can take to ensure that God will hear your prayers. Number one, be considerate. Be considerate. And the idea of being considerate is thinking about your wife as you make decisions. Being willing to ask yourself the question, What does she like? What does she prefer? What does she want in this circumstance? I want to encourage you, husbands, today to make a commitment in your heart that you're going to consult your wife before you make important decisions. Be willing to consult with her. The Bible says, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And God has given you a wife to walk right beside you, to help you make sure and to help together that you make decisions that are going to advance your family. Don't be a lone ranger, or maybe be a lone ranger, because he had Tonto. But don't call your wife Tonto because that might not work out for you. That's where the illustration ends. But what I'm here to say is this. Be willing to invite your spouse into the conversation. She's there to help you. And the two reasons for being considerate is, number one, God commands it. He commands us to be considerate. He says in this verse that we need to treat our wives as the weaker partner. Now, I'm not saying that wives are weak. That's not what I'm saying. But they deserve extra consideration. Recently, my wife and I, we went to Dallas for vacation and we went to a theme park right in the middle of the day in July. Yeah, it was a bad life choice, but uh, that's the time we had. But halfway through our time there, we noticed that our kids, eight, uh, nine, and seven, they were overwhelmed. They were overheated. And so what we did is we paused. We went to a restaurant and and we actually waited for an hour, hour and a half because they were overheated. And so we gave them water first and we fed them first and we adjusted our schedule based on them because in our family, they truly are the weaker partners in our family. We gave them extra consideration. And so those of you who are parents, you know that your kids need extra consideration and I'm inviting you to do the same for your spouse. Be willing to give her extra consideration. And the second reason is because she is a co-heir with you. Verse 7 says this, Treat her as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. She is a co-heir with you. God has entrusted the life that you have to the two of you. And if he's done that, she deserves the opportunity to speak into the choices that happen in the family. Be willing to be considerate. But it doesn't stop there. The second way to ensure that God will hear us in marriage is to be respectful. Whereas being considerate is really thinking about your spouse as you make decisions. Being respectful is really about treating your spouse with respect. I found this quote, and I love it. It's from Pastor Dave Willis, and this is what he says. Show respect to people who don't even deserve it. Not as a reflection of their character, but as a reflection of yours. Now, husbands... I know that loving her sometimes is like hugging a cactus. But the truth is, sometimes loving you is like hugging a porcupine. It can get painful in marriage. But regardless of what's happening in the marriage, God expects us to be respectful. And men, we have an obligation as men and as believers to stand up for respect to say no to disrespect, not only in our home, but in the way we live life. We live in a culture that finds it very easy to disrespect women. And we as men of faith, we need to say no to disrespect. Our wives deserve respect. The women around us deserve our respect because God created them in the image of God and they deserve respect. But more than that, if we happen to be parents, Our sons need a model that they can follow. They need to know what it's like and how to respect the women in their life, how to respect their future wife. They need an example and we have that responsibility to teach them. And our daughters, they need to know, they need to have an expectation that they are going to be respected in relationship and it starts with us. It must start with us. But respect is reciprocal. It's for both people. Mutual respect is very, very important. And I just wanna speak to some of us here today and I wanna reframe this quote that we looked at and I want you to listen to this. Husbands and wives show respect to your spouse even when they don't deserve it. Not as a reflection of their character, but as a reflection of yours. And some of you may be bristling at the idea of respect and mutual respect and you may be saying in your own heart, but pastor, you don't know how she speaks to me. And but you don't know how he treats me, and the truth is, is I don't, and I don't condone disrespect in the relationship, but God still expects us to demonstrate respect, regardless of how our spouse treats us, because God treats us with respect. So I want to make this point, and I want to highlight this, and I want you to listen carefully. God does not expect us to honor or celebrate disrespect in the marriage. We're not required to honor disrespect in the marriage. But God does expect us to treat our spouse respectfully because it 's a reflection of our character, not theirs. So ladies, I want to encourage you if you find yourself in a circumstance where there 's disrespect I want you to I want to encourage you to speak up if there 's challenges in your marriage, whether it is um, moral issues or spiritual issues or things that are going to impact the family or the future of the family, be willing to speak up about that. I want to empower you to do that, but be willing to say it respectfully. And for those of you who have spouses that are not saved, I want to invite you to look at this passage in its entirety. God actually gives you a blueprint for how to minister to an unsaved spouse. And I want to invite you to look at this entire passage as future study for yourself. But I also want to speak to the women here because I want to give you one piece of advice that I think will help you. Because your husband is wired different than you are. And he understands love in a very different way. And sometimes we think that I love you is what our husband needs to see. It needs to hear, but the truth is he needs to hear something different. I'm proud of you to a man means the same thing as I love you to a woman. When you say to your husband, I'm proud of you, you've done a good job, I see what you've accomplished, I believe in you, it's the same thing as him saying I love you to you. So I want to encourage you. One of the ways that you can show respect to him is be willing to speak his love language and communicate love in a way that makes sense to him. And if you find yourself today feeling like, you know what, I can learn some more about relationships, I want to invite you to a class we have coming up called The Art of Marriage. We're going to give you practical tools that you can use to thrive in your relationship and go from good to great. And the same for Art of Parenting. I just want to give one quick advisory here is that actually The Art of Parenting is actually going to close in its registration in about a week. So sign up quickly. But information is not enough to help us get where we need to be. My wife and I have discovered that life groups is very life-giving to us. And what we've discovered is that we're not alone. By being part of a life group, we've discovered that we're not alone. We find out that other couples have troubles too. And that's very encouraging to us. That's very encouraging to us. We also have found out in our life group that other parents, their kids don't listen. Their, Their kids fight with each other. And their sons sneak in the pantry as well and eat all the snacks. This is what's happening in the Musset household. Pray for us. We're spending more money on snacks than food, I think, because our kids are eating our snacks. Be willing to join a life group. And if you can't happen to find a life group, maybe what God is whispering is for you to start your own. Maybe He's saying, start your own. Maybe he's inviting you to gather two or three other couples that you know and that you're really connected to and start a life group. Learn how to grow together in relationship and grow together as you pursue the Lord. And if you want to learn more about how to start a life group, we've got life group leader trainings not only in the month of August, in the next couple of days, but we also have some training dates in September as well. And so we want to make it super easy for you to learn about how you can start a life group. And I just want to say, if there's doubts in your hearts and you're like, oh, I don't know if he's speaking to me, I want, I want you to know that you can do it. I believe in you. You can do it. You can start a life group. And what you'll discover is you'll discover God work amazing things, not only in your life, but in the lives of the other people around you. Step number three to make marriage the main course is to love extravagantly. And the writer of this chapter, he says in verse eight, finally, all of you be like-minded, sympathetic. Love one another, be compassionate and humble. And what we see in scripture is God is writing a recipe for relationship success. He's writing a recipe for extravagant love. And I began to think about who in my life really lives this out. And so I thought of my grandparents. My mom's parents were married for 45 years he was a pastor and then the lord took him home but they were committed and they were faithful to one another and then i began to think about my grandparents on my on my dad's side my grandfather is 93 my grandmother is 91 they've been married 69 years and together for 72 years and god has been faithful god has been faithful and they they demonstrate these different ingredients in their life they are like-minded and sympathetic and they love one another and they're compassionate and they're humble. They're humble people. Recently, I had the great privilege of going and visiting them. They live up in Dallas in an assisted living facility and I got to talking to them and, and I, I just asked them, I said, what's it like? I asked my grandmother, what's it like to be married for, for so long? And she says, you know what? It's been the joy of my life. I've enjoyed being married to your grandfather. And then I asked my grandpa, I said, Grandpa, what's it like to be married For 69 years and he didn't say anything he actually started to sing and he sang a song to her and I really wish I would have recorded it but it was a love song to her and then after he sung the song he looked me in the eyes he said, Jonathan, 72 years is not enough time with this woman and I said, that's what it's about that's what extravagant love is about and they've been through some things my grandmother's had significant health challenges, but my grandfather's been committed to her and she's been committed to him. And they have modeled for me what extravagant love is. And I just wanna tell you that I want that for my marriage, but I also want that for your marriage. I want you to experience extravagant love. I want you to experience like-mindedness and, and, and all these different components because God wants you to have extravagant love in your relationship. And I just want to encourage you to pursue it. Be willing to put in the work. Fight through the difficulty because marriage is not just about us. It's about our kids. It's about our grandkids. It's about our nieces and our nephews. It's about the couples that are around us. They're looking for a representation of extravagant love. In our culture, divorce is way too common. And they're looking for anchor relationships. They can say, I want to follow that. I want to become that. I want to pursue that. And God wants you to be that for someone else. The next generation needs it. The best legacy that we can leave our children is a Christ-centered forever marriage. And the truth is, pretty much everything else ends in life. We retire, the kids leave home, the grandkids come and go, but our marriage is intended to be till death do us part. And God wants us to have extravagant love. And I just wanna encourage you to push through the challenges and be willing to cultivate extravagant love, be willing to follow God's recipe for extravagant love. But some of you may be here and you've lost hope. Marriage is not the main course. Maybe it's non-existent. Recently, I went to a restaurant and I ordered my favorite entree. And a couple minutes minutes later the, the server came back and said, sir, we don't have what you just ordered. Can I offer you this instead? And I said, sure, I'll take that. But you know what? I was disappointed because the entree I wanted was not available. They still had the corn, they still had the okra, they still had the broccoli, but they didn't have the entree that I wanted. And some of you are here and your plate is full and it's full of sides. Taking the kids from this practice to that practice, waking up early, going to sleep late, working on the yard, paying bills, doing all of these extra things. But you're starving in your relationship because marriage is not the main course. And maybe it's not even existent at all. But I want you to know today that there's hope. There's hope. Because God, he is the mighty chef in our life. He is the one that's written the recipe for relationship success. And if we're willing to invite him in, he will bring in the ingredients that are necessary to help our relationship be a success. And so at this time, I wanna invite you to stand with me, balcony and main floor. And I wanna pray for all of the couples, but I wanna pray specifically for the couples who feel like their plate is full, but they're still starving. There's hope today. And it's found in inviting Jesus back into our marriage and our relationship. So let's go to the Lord and ask him to do that. Father, we come to you. You've you've challenged us today. You've given us hope that Marriage can be the main course again. And so we say yes to you, Lord. Help us focus on what's on the inside. Help us be respectful and considerate. Help us cultivate extravagant love. And I pray, Lord, for the couples that are struggling today, that you would whisper hope in their spirit. And God, as we are praying right now, that they will say, God, I need you. I need you now. I need you in my life. I need you in my marriage. I need you to restore hope. I need you to give me peace. I need you to give me reassurance that marriage can be the main course again. I believe in you. I lost confidence, but I believe in you and I know that you can do it. I pray, Lord, that you bring about healing and restoration and peace and confidence and love and all the extravagance of your presence into their relationship once again. You have written the recipe for relationship success. And so we today... We choose to invite you into our marriage to make it a success and so that it can be fruitful. God, we entrust our marriages to you and our relationships to you. We say all this in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. We're so delighted that you joined us. You can register at our resource center for the women's conference. God bless you and we are dismissed.